which is, you're not going to wear that, are you? How many have done that? I have three daughters, two of whom are teenagers. One is a very recent teenager. I've thought those words um, a few times. I've used them once. Uh, but certainly I've experienced this thing where um, I think a lot of us do with our kids where we have this conundrum that we face between maybe how they dress or how they act and how they're perceived. That, you know, will they be judged and will we be judged by their actions? This is a thing we struggle with as parents. Um, and it's difficult. So we're going to talk a little bit about this this morning because our, our verse today is going to be touching on this. Um, but what I want you all to, to, to look at here are uh, three things as we look at this verse. And the verse we're going to be looking at today is 1 Timothy 3, uh, 3, 4 through 5. And we're looking at uh, chapter 16 from, from uh, Eugene Getz's book on uh, being a godly father. Um, and I want to I look at three things this morning uh, as we look at this verse. Because it, it's a tough one. I, I, you read this verse. He must be one who manages his household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his household, how will he take care of the church of God? Okay? This verse, and I'm like, Paul, were you ever a teenager? Um, I struggle, you know, you struggle. How, how, do, we, how do we put this into action? Um, three things. First of all, we're going to talk about what this verse isn't saying. Okay? Getz does this. He starts off with looking at what this verse isn't saying, because it's important to do that. This verse has been used and misused uh, a time or two in the past. Second of all, we're going to look at two examples from the Bible of fathers not to be to get a better understanding of what the verse is saying. And third, uh, we're going to look at winners some practical application about what we can do from this. Now, look, you, everything there is to, do, to know about being a good father, a godly father, and even if I could, I couldn't do it in 20 minutes, okay? And Eugene Getz can't do it in one chapter of a book. So, so this, is, this is about a discussion, and I hope today that you all have some good discussion at your tables, but also an ongoing effort to, to start thinking about what it means to have this role as a father. All right. So... Um, Let's start off here. Um, actually, before we go any further, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to be fathers. We thank you that you've entrusted us with this amazing, amazing role. Um, and God, we ask for your help this morning. I ask for your help, Lord. Uh, I ask that your spirit would guide my words and guide our words this morning, Lord that they would glorify you and that they would edify us, they emerge a little more equipped to serve you by serving our families well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, first thing I want to talk about is what Paul's not saying here. Um, like I said, this verse has been misused before. I was standing in a church parking lot at one point, and I overheard a woman go, about a leader in the church, and uh, the leader was struggling, had a loved one who was struggling with emotional and, and possibly even mental health issues, and she dropped this verse like a bomb. And she said, oh, well, 
he can't manage his own, his own family well. He has no business being a leader. Okay? That's not what this is saying. We can't misuse the word of God this way. Don't use it to condemn people. Okay? God's commendation should never be condemnation. And that's why I want to touch on this. Can, uh, some of us may have children who are struggling with things, and we can look at this verse, and, be, and, and, it, and it feels like we're going to condemn ourselves if we, if we look at it too, you know, in, in the wrong way. And it's, it's, not, um, it's not something to be treated the way that woman did. She was pharisaical. She was even hypocritical. Okay? Let's not start on that. So I want to talk about what it's not saying, and it's not talking about children who struggle. And by that, I mean children who struggle with emotional issues, children who struggle with things that you not, can't necessarily control. It can be uh, mental issues, mental health. It can be anxiety. Our kids face a lot of pressure today. It can be addiction. There's a whole range of stuff out there. Now, I'm not saying you don't necessarily contribute to it. You can. If you're smoking dope with your kid, don't complain to me if he's addicted a few years from now. But I am saying that where you can't control it, let's give ourselves a little break. And let's carry each other forward. Um, so I don't know if you've ever heard of this. There are three C's that are sometimes, uh, you'll, you'll hear this in addiction recovery programs uh, that are designed for parents or loved ones of addicts, okay? The three C's. Um, the first is, I didn't cause this. The second is, I can't cure this. And the third is, I can't control this. So as a starting point, as we wrestle with our kids, let's see what's in our lane and what's in God's lane, okay? And if you're struggling with this, I want to suggest four more C's for you. I won't condemn myself for this. I need community, okay? We raise our children, yeah. Okay, I know that Hillary Clinton's not a popular figure in a lot of circles, but, you know, and the idea that it takes a village can be misused. But we need community to raise our kids. We need each other. There's going to be times where you may not be able to speak to your child the way somebody at your base camp table might be able to, or somebody else. So we need community. Don't do this alone. Community is here. You have community. Okay? And I'm pretty sure you ought to have guessed the last one by now, which is actually the first. Christ is the answer. So let's start by understanding that when, when, when Paul's talking about managing and controlling your children, he's not saying, basically, if your children are struggle, struggling with issues, you're not equipped to be a leader. Okay? I want to just start with that. What else is he not talking about? He's not necessarily talking about protecting your reputation. Now, I'm going to go back. Earlier, I talked about, you know, have you ever used that phrase? Where are you? Okay. I'll honestly say I used it. Yeah, I'm concerned about my kid's reputation if they're wearing something that I don't think is appropriate. But I'm also thinking a little bit about what's that going to make me look like. That's not what this is about either. Um, I think... I think if we, if we impose exacting performance standards on our kids for the wrong reasons, okay, like what, how's it, it going to make me look, we can end up doing a lot more damage than harm. And I think Getz here, this is, um, I pulled this quote out because I think it's helpful. He says, children resent a higher standard for themselves simply because their parents happen to be spiritual leaders in the church. And they really resent being told 
they are to be good so that their dad looks good. Ultimately, this kind of motivation will backfire. Sadly, as children grow into adulthood, this kind of performance standard actually can create elements of rebellion that Paul was talking about in letters to Timothy and Titus. Okay, so we're not talking here about necessarily your reputation. You manage your household well. God's interested in you um, controlling your children with dignity. Okay, actually doing it, not just appearing to do it. Finally, I don't think Paul's talking here about children who are not saved. And that might seem obvious, but I say it anyway because more and more I seem to come across fathers and mothers. Children are not necessarily walking with the Lord, and it's ripping them apart. It, it, it is. Um, and that's understandable. I mean, the notion of being separated, you know, even the possibility of being separated from your child in eternity is, is heart-wrenching. Probably an entire talk ought to be just, could be given just on that, and I'm not here to do that today, okay? But don't add to that burden, okay, by putting the burden on yourself with respect to your child's salvation. You do have a job to do here. You need to know, you need your child to know the gospel. You need to share the gospel, and you need to walk in the light of the gospel and set the example for your kids that way, okay? What's in the lane of the Holy Spirit is in the lane of the Holy Spirit. Um, so pray for your children. Pray in community. Um, but let's, let's not uh, look at children's status with respect to salvation and use that as a way to judge people. Okay. Enough said there. Let's start talking about what he is saying. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Phil uh, 2, 12 through 17. We're going to look at our first biblical example of a father not to be. Okay, and this is Eli. I'm just going to read this for you uh, real quick. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priests uh, with the, did not love the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When a man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while eat, the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came, who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, they would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men, Hophni and Phinehas, was very great before the Lord, for the man despised the offering of the Lord. Okay, are those good kids? No, no, not really. Um, and God is not happy with their actions. In fact, uh, he goes on to, to take away the line from Eli, okay? He promises Eli, your boys are going to die for what they did, and they do. Uh, but I want you to look here. Uh, at this, at verse 3, 12 through 13, because here's what God says is Eli's problem. In that day, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I have, that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. So, 
there comes a time, uh, as we all know, that we are going to have to rebuke our children. We're going to have to actually speak the hard words to them, and that's difficult to do. Um, again, it's obvious, uh, but here's the thing. It's not about whether you do it. It's about how you do it. And we need to learn to do it in love. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, okay? So, number one, don't be like Eli. Okay? When that, you know, this is like the offering plate goes by in church and your kid looks inside and goes, ah, 20 bucks. Guess who's going to Kava today? And then you look the other way, right? That's not, that's not a godly father. So, remember, we need to rebuke our children when it's necessary. Um, all right, and our, and our second example this morning I want to quickly look at is uh, Solomon. Now, Note two things here, or one thing here. Um, these are godly men, or at least men of God. Do not assume that merely because we are men of God, we're going to be godly fathers. Okay, we can stumble. And it's so, you know, yeah, if you read your Bible every day and you pray regularly and you attend base camp and you're very involved in church, there's still more that you need to do to be a godly father. All right, so, um, now we all know... Um, Solomon chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11 talks about how Solomon, in all of his wisdom, ultimately turned from God, right? He loved foreign women. More than a thousand of them were told, between concubines and wives and various other things. Um, and those women turned his heart away from God to the point where he's chasing after detestable idols and he's setting up altars to idols and all kinds of things. Okay? Now, what do we know about Solomon's son? Good guy? Bad guy? Evil guy. Not a good guy. Okay. Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us about at what point did Rehoboam uh, go off the rails. But I do want to raise the point that he didn't exactly have the best influence. Okay? Um, he had a father who, 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 in his waning days, gave him very, very poor example. Um, and what, is, what does Rehoboam do? He, he has lusts as well. He ends up with a lust for power. And through his lust for power, okay, and this is what God wills against Solomon for what he's done wrong, but ultimately through his lust for power, he splits up the mightiest nation there was until that time. Israel is split into two. So, what does this teach us? Um, we can make mistakes that will jeopardize our ability to father well, to lead as fathers. And it doesn't take necessarily a thousand women to do it. Um, sadly, I've known some dads who've made bad decisions and jeopardized their ability, their credibility with their own children because of the thing they've done. Um, okay. We need to watch what our examples are. We don't want our examples to be one of anger, okay, or lust, or addiction, or rampant materialism, or idolatry, or, or any other act of the sinful nature. Okay, the most important thing that we have to do as fathers is to lead our children well. The second most important thing 
maybe equally important, is protecting our ability to do that. Now, let me just say this. If you found yourself in that place of compromise, if you've done something to lead your children, don't give up. Don't stop there, okay? Don't dwell there. You need to move on from that. And if you're asking me, how do I do that, okay, what you need to do is regain the ability to lead by example by doing that. Lead by example. Own your failures. Confess it to God. Let your family see a repentant heart. Let your family see a changed heart. Okay? How we handle failure can be a lot more instructive to our children than how we manage success. And it's an opportunity for you. So if you're in that boat today, turn it around. Okay? Teach your children how to handle failure. You'll be a blessing to them for that. All right. Um, I want to hear, move on now to uh, a couple of things that Getz actually puts in his book. Um, again, that should be um, fairly obvious, and then I'll, I'll be closing up shortly. Um, number one, consult with your wife, okay? Your wife knows a thing or two about your kids, and you're in this together. Um, Getz puts this Philippians 2, 5 through 8 as one of, the, one of two key verses that he has in his book that he said helped him in Father. Have this attitude in, your, uh, in yourselves, which is also in, Christ, in Jesus, who, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Okay? So, he's talking about humility, and that humility begins with our wives. We are the heads of our household. That doesn't mean that we lord over our wives. It's, it's something that you, we need to, you know, fatherhood is fatherhood and motherhood, okay? Um, and that's, that's one piece of scripture that he gives. There's a second one, and uh, actually, if you all can, can see it, I'd like to read this together because this one's um, just something we should be sharing in community. It's so important. And this is the, uh, the, the Shema from uh, the Israel Bible. So read this with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of the house and on your gates. Probably the most important thing that as fathers is share the word of God and the truth of God with our kids. Again, it's obvious, okay? But if we wake up every morning and we read this verse, it's going to remind us a little bit about the importance of what God has for us. Um, so that's the second verse that gets, uh, has used in his life uh, to father well. All right, finally, uh, just one more thing. I just want to close with this. Um, 
And, and that is to emphasize the importance of the roles that you play, that I play as fathers. Um, I want you to remember, those of you who have, have young children, especially, um, consider that the image your child has of a father, that's going to be the first image they have. And it's going to be you. Uh, you become the image of the father that they are going to then learn about God the Father. through. And, uh, and I, I share this as an example. Uh, and my wife, Amy, she said I, I could share this. Um, she grew up in a fairly strict household. Uh, her dad was, was, was quite controlling. Um, and he also struggled with anger. Okay? Um, it's not surprising. His life wasn't easy. He grew up dirt, dirt floor poor in, in Oklahoma. Uh, he didn't have running water or electricity until he was 18 years old. Okay? He, went, he went and served in Korea, lost both of his legs there. He had a rough life. Uh, and some of that spilled over into his parenting. Um, now, don't get me wrong. My father-in-law is one of the best men I know. I love him dearly. He's been like a second father to me. I have, to me he's mentored me. Um, he's a real blessing. Uh, but he was not an easy man as a father. And Amy uh, came to realize after reaching adulthood and looking back at her life that her view of God was a distant and angry God. And when she put two and two together, she realized that was her view of the Father. Getz talks about this in his book as well, of a, of a, of a, a young lady who, who couldn't even pray to God the Father because as a child she was abused. Okay. But my point is it's, it doesn't take something as severe as abuse to be the reflection of the Father of your children. So, um, and I'll share my own. Um, my, my, my dad, I love him to death. He was, he's wonderful, amazing, great example for me, but he didn't raise me in the faith. I didn't even know the angry, distant God. Okay? So, who we are as fathers has a lot more influence and a lot more impact on our children um, than maybe we realize. I just want to share that with you. Um, so, if you take nothing else away, um, just take this away, that it's never too late to become a godly father. Okay, and it's never too late to begin the process of the most important gift you can give your children, which is the love of Christ. And that love reflected not just in the way that you talk, but in the way that you walk as well. All right, so let me, um, here, these are the questions from the, from the book. I thought that they were good ones, and so um, I hope you'll be able to explore this a little better and a little more at your tables. Uh, let me just pray, and then we'll get to that. Father, we thank you, Lord, um, again, for this opportunity to be fathers. Lord, I pray now that you would just guide us, um, that you'd guide us through your word and through your spirit as we go into this uh, of fatherhood um, and, and continue on it, as many of us have been on it for a while. Lord, uh, just walk with us. Guide us. Help us to be a reflection of your true love to our children. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.